0: It's The Night Talker with Trey Ellis.
1: Coming up on episode number 63 of The Night Talker. At 1045, where are we at in society? A guy burned his junk off because he wanted to be a woman. And some OnlyFans model rolled around in horse manure on Dirty Sixth for some stupid reason. Probably having to do with fame. At 10.15, it is the first of my two-segment chat with Grammy-winning rapper T.I., who is trying his hand at stand-up at Cap City Comedy Club on Thursday and Friday. We'll find out why. And coming up in this segment, the NCAA continues to prove its worthlessness, and the NFL gets ready to suspend more players for gambling. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter, at CourtesyWave, and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027ESPN. As you know, if you listen to this show with any sort of regularity, the NIL game is one that still lacks much in the way of guardrails, The NCAA has been completely worthless throughout this entire process as they continue to operate five years behind the rest of the world with regards to college athletes getting paid for name, image, and likeness. They were forced to come with a reckoning a couple years ago after states began to pass their own NIL laws allowing their college athletes to make money at a time that might be the best opportunity that these individuals have. ...to make some coin while they also perform in college sports. Which, despite the insistence of the NCAA and university presidents and athletic directors over time... ...we know the idea of amateurism is ridiculous. Too stupid as it pertains to these athletes and their ability to actually make a little bit of money... ...while they are also busting their ass for their schools in their respective sports... As they are full-time students, and I understand the scholarship is one aspect of that, but it's only one aspect. So here we are now, a couple years since uh, this all really started to go into effect, and the NCAA is still operating five years behind everybody else. The state of Texas became one of the most recent, a couple weekends ago, to actually sign a bill into law relating to NIL that essentially is a pro-player bill and also one that protects its schools, the schools in the state of Texas, from the arcane rules that exist within the NCAA and then also to uh, varying degrees with conferences. They basically say you are immune, you are protected against Any punishments or ramifications that may come from you doing things a little bit differently from other schools in the country or other schools in your conference. Now, I would caution the University of Texas from going too hard against what the SEC claims its rules are, but the SEC also plays by a different set of rules, too. Well, the NCAA has decided to put a memo out. This happened at some point yesterday afternoon. Commenting. On NIL laws that have been passed by states as the NCAA and schools try to lobby for some sort of federal legislation that essentially runs protection for the NCAA and the schools and keeping them from ever having to be considered employers of the student athletes that they are essentially employing. And it's why for a long time, even before NIL officially took effect, I've been saying this is eventually heading to a point where there will actually be employment contracts. The schools are paying the athletes at a certain level. You will still have NIL opportunities as well. But at the highest level, especially in college football, SEC schools, Big Ten schools, we'll see if any, any other conferences make that cut. There will be contracts. It also keeps a guy at that place for potentially two, three, four years. It can be a yearly contract, which is pretty much what a letter of intent is right now. Or it could be something that binds the school and the athlete to one another for an extended period of time. And if that contract is broken, there can be penalties on either side. But the NCAA has sent its member institutions. A name, image, and likeness memo that attacks several actions schools are currently taking and effectively asking schools to place NCAA rules above state laws. And this memo was obtained and then published by Sports Illustrated. So, the NCAA is telling schools to follow its rules even if they're unenforceable in a state's jurisdiction. Here's the reasoning: Quote, schools do not like the application of a particular rule, should work through the NCAA governance process to change the rule. So, if you don't like the rule, work to change them or just leave the NCAA. I'll take option B. University of Minnesota law professor Taryn Shamra told front office sports, which is where I'm getting this story from right now. Quote, I think that the NCAA essentially is challenging schools to leave the voluntary membership. If they don't agree to follow these piecemeal rules. And she also calls it hubristic and believes it will ultimately backfire. The memo notes Entities are, quote, so closely aligned with an institution that it is viewed as an extension of the university. Schools can't provide benefits to boosters or donors like tickets or suite access in exchange for NIL collective money. Texas is cited as an example that would be in violation Of this rule, given that its official fundraising arm, the Longhorn Foundation, plans to offer a point system for priority tickets to donors based on how much they contribute to the Texas One Fund Collective. The NCAA also reiterated a prohibition on athletic department officials facilitating or negotiating NIL deals for athletes or deals contingent upon the school and athlete Attends or the city they live in. Look, I know the NCAA still wants to posture like they have some sort of authority, and I guess in a roundabout way, they might. They can make a ruling, and then the school and the athlete is supposed to abide by said ruling, especially as it pertains to suspension or sitting out a year or scholarship limits or something like that. But let's keep in mind that authority has a lot to do not just with the position that you find yourself in, but also the amount of respect that you receive from your subordinates. And right now, nobody who falls under the supposed jurisdiction of the NCAA has an ounce of respect for this organization. They are a complete joke. They are operating in the past, and they need to get with the times. And rather to continue to fight this, they need to find a way to bring everyone together... In a manner that benefits all sides. Not just the universities. Not just the athletics departments. But benefits the players as well. The NCAA which is supposed to be about protecting the players. If you really want to think about it. Tends to operate. With the exact opposite intentions in mind. And it's evidence once again here. With them clamoring for schools and athletes to follow the NCAA rules and not state laws. Well, guess what, NCAA? If you had a decent set of rules, maybe we could consider that. But because you've been asleep at the wheel for going back more than five years now with regards to NIL, we can't follow your stupid rules because they're behind the times. Ah, shoot. You know what? I don't really have time to get to uh, the NFL suspending more guys. There's a report out there right now that they will be handing down more suspensions. One name is Colts cornerback and kick returner Isaiah Rogers, who may get a season-long suspension. There's other guys who may be getting season-long suspensions too. wonder if you can place bets on who in Vegas. All right, coming up, it is the first of a two-part chat with Tip Harris. You may know him as the Grammy-winning rapper T.I. He's also... An actor, community activist, and he's now trying his hand at stand-up comedy. He's going to be at Cap City Comedy Club tomorrow and Friday. We'll talk about his stand-up journey coming up next. It's
0: The Night Talker with Trey Elling. Proving good things do happen on the radio after 10 p.m. It's The Night Talker with Trey Elling. On 1027 ESPN and 1027 ESPN.com.
1: Tip Harris is an entertainer better known by the stage name T.I. As a musician, he's put out 11 studio albums with a 12th on the way. He's been nominated for Grammys 19 different times with three wins in 2007, he won for Best Rap Solo Performance for What You Know and for Best Rap/Sung Collaboration for My Love with Justin Timberlake. And in 2009, he won for Best Rap Performance by a Duo or Group for Swagga Like Us with Jay-Z, Kanye, and Lil Wayne. He's also an actor with numerous film and TV credits, a community activist, business owner and now he's trying his hand at stand-up comedy you can actually check the stand-up out in austin tomorrow and friday night at cap city comedy club in the domain two shows each night with tickets and more info at capcitycomedy.com tip thank you so much for the time how you doing today
2: man i'm good thank you for the time and attention
1: Hey, it's my pleasure. I've been a fan of your work for a long time now, starting with your music career, and that bled over onto the acting side of things. And so when I saw last week, as you're going to be coming into Austin to perform stand-up comedy at Cap yeah. City Comedy Club... My mind was a little bit blown because I've not only you know listened to you make music and uh, express your thoughts and feelings through music and be funny at times, but just in hearing you speaking, I thought to myself, this, this isn't a one-off here. This is something that could actually work. So I guess uh, the starting point for us today is uh, what made you decide to try your hand at stand-up comedy?
2: Well, I, I think I should start with saying I've always been a fan of the craft. Uh, comedy clubs has always been kind of like a date night thing, uh, you know, just a, a leisurely hangout. Uh, and I'm, I'm very, I became very cool and, uh, quite, quite comfortable and casual with a lot of the comedians. Um, and I, I mean, but to answer your question plainly, it wasn't until A good buddy of mine, who is a comedian, his name is K Dub. He'll also be at Cap City Comedy Club, so I go to support him at an open mic night, right? And when I go there, he and I having a disagreement because the guy on stage is having a horrible go of it, and we can agree that he's having a tough time, but we couldn't quite agree to why. And, you know, finally, he turned to me and say, I've been doing this 25 years. When you going to get on stage? <laughs> and I was like, whoa, man, just chill out, chill out. And I go back to my seat, sit down, you know, have a drink with my wife. And he goes up on the stage, grabs the mic from the comedian and says, coming up on stage, whether he knows it or not. T.I. or something like that. And so, you know, of course, I tried to I was just going to shoo it off. But the crowd was, you know, they they applauded so loud. I had to go up there. So from the seat to the stage, I thought of my first little bit. And I got up there, got my first laugh, and I just fell in love with it.
1: It's something that entered your blood as soon as you heard that first laugh, it was over with for you, huh?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's just a different uh it's a different level of 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 crowd direction. You know what I'm saying? Uh as a performer, you know, you have to interact with the crowd, exchange energy. Um, but on, on, on stage, when you're doing stand-up, it's instant gratification. You know, you're going to know right, right then and now, whether or not what you just did worked, you know what I'm saying? And I think, you know, it's just a, a different level of expression that I, I, I fell in love with.
1: Yeah. You know, that's one thing that I really <laughs> love about the art form. Like you're obviously good at making music and films and TV shows, and there is a certain Audience interaction that comes into play, but as you just said, it's not so immediate. And it's one thing to be funny; it's another thing to be funny to your friends. It is a completely different beast to be funny to two hundred complete strangers and getting them in harmony to laugh at what it is that you're saying. So I guess I set all that up to ask: like, what is something that has surprised you about? the journey that you've taken to become better at stand-up comedy over, uh, I think um, it's the last two years now.
2: Well, I think just, you know, earning respect for the format, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, and I found that, you know, it's kind of like therapy. It's kind of like therapy, you know what I mean? It's it's, it's very peaceful and it, it also gives me an opportunity to interact with fans in a different way uh, because, you know, with music, as you just mentioned, a song is about how you feel about something at a certain time when you record it. As that song lives on, you may enter other phases in your life where you don't necessarily share the same perspectives. Uh, comedy is about how you feel in real time. You know what I'm saying? So if I go and I, I, I perform something like, uh, what you know about that 24. So these songs were made quite, you know, you know, a few years ago. Um, but the jokes that I'm saying, they kind of relate to my perspective right now in real time. And I think, you know, that engagement, uh, that level of engagement allows for a certain transparency, uh, a certain level of honesty. And quite and just, you know, quite frankly, I don't think I can get through the same fulfilling shock. And surprise out of an audience doing music. You know, if I do it if I do a song and it's good, they're like, oh, okay, T, I got a good song. But when they see me in a totally different, uh, in a totally different uh, uh platform and a different level of 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 talent and expression, the shock and the surprise on their face in comedy clubs when they see me coming at me and they actually, you know, say, okay, well he's he's pretty good. That's a that's a that's a feeling that you can't get I don't think in the other in the other the means of, of uh, art that I've, I've existed in
1: So obviously music can be something that continues to evolve even after you put a track down like you can perform it in dis- different ways uh, when whenever you're doing so live but uh, one of the interesting things about stand-up is that a, a bit is constantly evolving until you feel like you've perfected it. Right. Um, and uh so obviously that that involves like listening to how the crowd is reacting to the way that you're presenting something or maybe you try a little Absolutely. bit of a different detail one uh one way or another to see to to really test to see if one way works better than the other. What are uh, what are some of the things that you're covering on stage right now with your stand-up material, Tip? Um I think
2: uh a big part of my a big part of my uh performance is is kind of expounding on going- where I am in my life right now. Hmm. And some of the things that led to me getting to this place of perspective and, you know, and 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 how I how I see things or how I uh how my how they may affect my life. Uh a lot of stories about my kids, stories about my wife, uh stories about, for instance, so, you know, one of the most the my favorite show since I've been doing stand up was The Barclays in Brooklyn. Hmm. I got booed, (laughs) not necessarily booed off stage, but booed, you know, just to, I think they were really, you know, they were really trying to see if I, if I really wanted it or not, you know what I'm saying? Uh, But that level of intensity, you know what I'm saying? It kind of woke something up in me. And I speak about that, you know, and finding the humor in those moments. uh, I think that, you know, that it allows me to kind of reflect and find the lessons in the things that have affected me in my life. And I think the crowd would be to experience that with me.
1: The Barclays Center is a huge venue, especially for somebody who's still finding his footing as a stand-up. Like, did it take you long to win the crowd over that night?
2: Okay, so this is what happened. So I think uh, I've been doing stand-up now for about 70, 78 weeks. Okay. Okay. And the Barclays was like week seven.
1: Oh, my gosh. <laughs>
2: uh, so, I mean, so, one of you know, one of my one of my points of reference is imagine getting booed your first day on the job. <laughs> you know, you get, you're looking for your office and you boo, I just got here. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think those things, you know, they, they definitely bring light to it. But I, I feel me in New York, we shared a moment, you know, and I appreciated it.
1: I know you mentioned uh, Keb Dub's going to be there at uh, Cap City Comedy with you these next couple of nights. Uh, whether yeah. from him or somebody else who's in the business, have you received a really good piece of advice from a comic who has made it that has really helped you to better hone your craft? Um, I think
2: one of the one of the most significant lessons I learned is just to stay on stage. Yeah. The only way you're gonna get better at it is to just stay on stage as much time as you can get up there and just work your you know work your material out and and, and trim the fat to get better. Um I think uh, I, I have a, a, a collection of mentors that just kind of wrap their arms around me ever since I began my journey and made sure that I had all the game I needed. Uh K Doug is definitely one of them. um and the rest of the Haha ha Mafia. The Haha ha Mafia is a is a coalition of comedians That we came together, you know, just to kind of move around. And and, and as I began to do comedy, I saw that there was a lot of attention just based off my name. Mm -hmm. So with that attention, I think, you know, it's most beneficial for me to shine a light on people who I feel like, you know, deserve to be in the forefront, deserve to be acknowledged. Uh, So the Ha Ha Mafia, I put a group of a group of guys and a young lady together and they touring, they touring around comedy clubs in the country with me.
1: Who all's in the haha ha mafia?
2: Okay, well, you had Nav Green, Jay Ski, Ronnie Jordan, Tyler Chronicles, Erica Decius, and k Dill. Hmm. That's the game.
1: And are they all going to be a part of the show tomorrow and Friday?
2: No, not all of them. I mean, you okay. know. Uh, Fortunately and unfortunately, you know, everybody ain't available. You know, people out there moving around doing their own gigs. But, you know, we kind of make sure that the host, the opening and the feature is all members of the Ha Ha Mafia every time you see Tip Harris perform.
1: He is Tip Harris, also known as T.I., the three-time Grammy-winning rapper, also an actor, a community activist, and yes, now a stand-up comedian. He's going to be at Cap City Comedy Club tomorrow and Friday, two shows each night. You can grab tickets at capcitycomedy.com. Coming up, more with T.I. on the other side.
0: Proving good things do happen on the radio after 10 p.m. It's The Night Talker with Trey Allen. It's the Night Talker with
1: Trey Ellie. Back with Tip Harris. He is an entertainer better known by the stage name TI as a musician, he's put out 11 studio albums with a 12th on the way. That includes 19 Grammy nominations with three wins. 2007, he won a couple for Best Rap Solo Performance, For What You Know, and for Best Rap Slash Collaboration for My Love with Justin Timberlake. And in 2009, he won for Best Rap Performance by a Duo or Group with Swagga Like Us, with Jay-Z, Kanye, and Lil Wayne. He's also an actor with numerous film and TV credits. He does community activism. He's a business owner. And now he is trying his hand at stand-up comedy. That's what we're talking about tonight. You can actually check the stand-up out in Austin tomorrow and Friday night at Cap City Comedy Club in the Domain. Two shows each night. Tickets and more info at capcitycomedy.com not to uh not to get too stereotypical here and think that uh all excellent rappers who uh show a serious depth of character with their lyrics that try their hand at stand-up or in touch with one another but freddie gibbs has been doing the stand-up thing for a couple of years now he hosts shows here in austin from time to time i think he's done some stuff at the comedy store as well have you talked with freddie at all about uh about his experience and in, in getting into the stand-up game no i haven't
2: had the, i haven't had the uh, opportunity to speak to him about it but i support it you know what i mean if if he feel, anytime you feel you can do something i think the best thing to do is get out there and give it a shot you know what i'm saying uh and, and i know a lot of other rappers who i feel like would be funny you know i feel like they would have a a, a great time uh a, and, a, and a phenomenal a phenomenal journey uh but it's all about how bad they want it, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And what they're gonna do to show it.
1: Who's a rapper that you think could make it as a stand-up?
2: Man, to be honest with you, Boosie.
1: Hmm.
2: Boosie is one, um, Two Chains is okay. another. Uh let's see here, Dro, my partner young Dro. Uh, he's another one. Uh right off the top of my head, those are the ones that just jump out at me. You know, right off the But I think it's a a lot of us, man, because we we portray the image of our past, for the most part. You know, the world we came from, we are communicating those messages and conveying that energy. Uh, But as we evolve, as we grow, as we learn lessons in life, we just, you know, we kind of come to a level of acceptance. Okay, so this is where it was, but this is where it is now. And there's a humor in that, in that dichotomy. So as long as we're able to identify that and express that to the world, I think the familiarity of who we are and what we've gone through mixed with that perspective, I think it captures the audience in a different way.
1: That's so beautifully said there, Tip. And you as a parent know that uh, we try to encourage our kids. And I know some of your kids are a little bit more grown now, but we encourage our kids when they're children to try new things and to learn new skills. Right. But that's something that's important to do regardless of your age in life. And I think that's one of the reasons why I've admired watching your career from afar is because you keep finding ways to challenge yourself. And stand up is obviously a great example of that. What is something that has surprised you about performing stand up comedy since getting into it a year and a half ago?
2: Well, uh, the fact of how, you know, and this is also a part of my bit, uh, how, how, how I didn't know they wasn't getting paid. You know what I'm saying? I had no idea <laughs> how low the salary cap was. It's like a, a huge wealth gap. You know what I'm saying? You got the Dave Chappelle's, Kevin Hart's, Chris Rock's, and then you got the guys who, you know, fighting to get 10 minutes on the stage at a comedy club. Yeah. Um, and that that gap you know what I'm saying? That surprised me more than anything.
1: Yeah, that's uh, there is a big difference. Now, hopefully you haven't had to do too many uh open mics at, in the basements of I'm pizza parlors or anything like that.
2: It's important to do them. We do them all the time. Okay. Every Wednesday, I have a lounge called the Trap City Cafe in Atlanta. Okay. Every Wednesday, we do an open mic night hosted by K-Dub. Uh, and it's important to get up there to just continue to work out your bits, continue to work out your material, uh, continue to, to – uh, work on your connection with, with with your crowd, direction, and so on and so forth. That's kind of like okay. So if if you are if you're in a, if you're if you're Beyonce, if you're Beyonce and you have a tour coming up, you're gonna go somewhere a private, rehearsal hall, get your show together, the band get together, the dancers get together, choreography, all that stuff, and it's private until you're ready to present it. Hmm. But a comedian, if he's getting ready to go on tour, he's going to work out his material by going to open mic nights and he's going to work out, you know, so you working out in front of the crowd, you rehearsing in front of the crowd and and making corrections in real time, day by day to get to a place where you can present it to the masses. Uh And, you know, that's an impressive, that's an impressive component to me as well.
1: I love talking to people who have achieved uh, high levels of success because those people often have advice to impart because to be successful – it requires you to fail quite often to fail a lot and learning lessons in the process, considering that you've received uh, that you've achieved uh, certain heights that uh, other musicians dream of and other entertainers just in general and and the different ways that you've gotten your name out there. What is one of your greatest failures in life tip? And what was the lesson that you learned from that? I
2: think one of my greatest failures was allowing people, and I've said this several times before, but, you know, I think I don't have a more honest and true answer, allowing people to talk me out of my vision just because they didn't see it at the huh. time I was seeing it, you know? Uh, I'll give you an example. So on my second album, I had a, a record, you know, one of my first breakthrough records called Rubber Band Man. Yeah. And... The first thing I thought, you know, of course, was to offer rubber bands commercially. And, you know, I'm thinking, man, nobody's going to pay for a rubber band. And that's what everybody told me. As I shared the idea with people, it was like, man, who's going to pay for a rubber band? You know, sure. who's going to? Okay. Cut two. you had the Lance Armstrong, the, the 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 Lance Strong bands that Nike put out. Made millions, if not billions off of them. And I allow people to talk me out of that vision just because they couldn't see it, only to see it executed shortly after by someone else. And you know, I still and that 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 definitely uh uh it taps me on the shoulder from time to time and reminds me that my vision is my vision for a reason. And that would be my best piece of advice to anybody who asks me. Just yeah. trust your vision.
1: it's important to run stuff by the people that you trust, but ultimately If you feel strongly enough about something, even if you're the only one in the room, you have to take that into greater consideration than any other person's opinion because they may not completely get it.
2: Yeah, your vision is your vision for a reason. Yeah. Uh, Everybody has a place and a purpose in life. Everybody, you know, has a a function in the ecosystem. Uh, Some people's function, uh, it, it allows them certain visions that other people would not, you know, have available to them because they're on a different path, a different journey. Uh, and I think that acknowledging that, recognizing that and trusting in that uh, and doing it fearlessly to where you can you know kind of you know move on your own good instinct, move on your own vision, your own belief instead of being influenced by the thoughts and opinions of others. Uh, I think that's you know that's imperative you know to to to, to find purpose.
1: So just about everybody has heard the the story involving you helping out Scott Stapp in the middle of uh, <laughs> what was a, a pretty serious moment for him and attempting to commit suicide. But there's two questions I have based on that. I'm not going to have you tell the story again because you've told it enough, okay. Tip. But did he hit? I, I forget if it was a, a spliff or a blunt that you were smoking at the time. Did he end up actually hitting that uh, once you were able to get to him? I don't
2: think so, man. I, I don't think he. I don't think he. Uh, he. I don't think he obliged. Uh, but we offered it to him because he seemed pretty, we seen, he seemed pretty, uh, had a lot of anxiety. You know, we just wanted to kind of, you know, just kind of calm him down. And he was already kind of hurt pretty bad. And yeah. he was trying to continue to jump. And uh, and, and me and my partner, Phil, we, uh, we, we kind of talked him out of it and got him some help. And, you know, it's good to see him doing good.
1: What's your favorite Creed song?
2: Ah, man, to be honest with you, I cannot tell you. I cannot tell you. I know him when I hear him, but I don't know him by name.
1: That's fair. And final question, This you've maintained this for a long time now, but Kill the King is uh, supposedly uh, going to be coming out at some point in the next year, and that's going to be it for you musically. Yeah. Is that still the plan? And uh, if so, how is this, uh, this final album coming along?
2: Well, um, <laughs> I tell you what. The, the different thing about this is going into knowing that you're making your final album. I'm kind of reflecting and seeing all the things that I haven't said, all the messages I still have to communicate. Wow. Um, and I'm just trying to put an exclamation, uh, exclamation point on my, on my catalog. And after that, of course, I'm going to still make music. The music. Uh, it's not just a business. It's something, it's something that I do as a part of me. It's a, it's a part of my peace of mind. It's a part of my expression and communication. So I'll always do music. Whether I will release music as a solo artist, uh, commercial is, is a different thing altogether. Um, I think that it's a different level of pressure. Yeah. It's a different level of pressure and a different level of expectation that I have of myself in, in embarking on completing my final album
1: i like to think that the name does have to do with the, uh, the name of your first album. Part of that is Killing Your Own Ego. And one great way to kill your own ego is to learn a new skill, but especially to get up on stage to perform stand-up comedy. So congratulations on your career up to this point, man. And uh, best of luck with the stand-up thing. People who are interested can go to capcitycomedy.com. Two shows on Thursday, two shows on Friday okay. night. Tip Harris is going to be there. Making folks laugh along with K Dub, uh, Tip. Thank you so much for the time today, man. This is a real pleasure.
2: Man, love and respect, man. Appreciate your time and attention, man. Good talking
1: to you. Coming up, and where are we at in society? A guy burned his junk off because he wanted to be a woman, and some stupid OnlyFans model rolled around in horse manure, and some stupid OnlyFans model rolled around in horse manure, and some. And some OnlyFans model rolled around in horse manure on Dirty 6th, probably
0: for fame. It's the Night Talker with Trey Ellie. Proving good things do happen on the radio after 10 p.m. It's the Night Talker with Trey Ellie.
1: Final segment of tonight's show means it's time for... Where are we at in society today? That's right, it is your nightly look at stories that show we as a people are headed in a terrible direction. Very occasionally, I will bring you a story that provides a symptom of optimism, that has us all saying to ourselves, Hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out. Maybe all is not lost. But no, tonight is not that night. And it is a especially grisly version of where we at tonight. I'm just going to have to warn you now. We often showcase... Humans being really stupid with things. And we may have two of the better examples of that. And it's all going to happen in one segment. Starting in Australia. That's right. We go down under. Not always that we go down under for where we add stories. But we have to go down under for this one in more ways than one. This comes from the Medical Journal Urology Case Reports. I feel like Urology Case Reports does provide us with some really golden story opportunities from time to time. And we have another one here, unfortunately, as the authors wrote in a study that was published in Urology Case Reports, quote, we present a case of self-inflicted chemical penile burn requiring emergency penectomy in a transfeminine patient. According to the report, a 57-year-old trans woman who had been assigned male at birth but felt she was born in the wrong body decided to take actions into her own hands. Now, you may be asking yourself, well, if you feel that strongly about something, why don't you just take the safe medical steps to change what's going on down there. But gender affirming surgery, which is a popular topic of discussion among some here in this country is flat out illegal in Australia. So this person decided to whip up a chemical concoction and then poured it on her junk. Going to be respectful of the pronouns But she does still have the extra family member down there, if you will. So what happened? It's not all cut and dry. No pun intended there. So what exactly happened to lead this person to have to seek actual medical attention? Well, they poured this chemical mixture on their junk, but it didn't burn it enough Instead, it was just the tip. And I just wish that I was making that up. But that is what this journal is telling us as it relates to this story. So, just poured it on the tip. That hurt. Forcing this person to go find a real doctor. But sadly, or maybe not so sadly for the patient in question, weeks later, after they got things under control, the rest of her male member succumbed to the burns. There are pictures of this, which I'm afraid to look at. So I'm just going to take the New York Post's description of them. As the truth. Accompanying photos show the gangrenous member. Almost completely black in color. As if badly frostbitten. This required an emergency panectomy. Which I'm guessing is a complete removal of the little guy down there. So. Congrats. Congrats. To this Australian? I mean, this is what you wanted after all. You got your wish, I guess. Just hope there's no buyer's remorse in the end. Moving from Australia to right here in Austin, Texas. Some of you have seen this ridiculous by now. This ridiculousness that happened on Dirty 6th Street. I want to say this was this last weekend where an OnlyFans model who goes by the name Madam Jubilee on Instagram was filmed over the weekend rubbing horse manure all over her face and body on dirty 6th Street. Now, if you've lived in this town for any period of time and been young enough or perhaps crazy enough over the last 10 or so years to be on Dirty 6th Street on the weekend, you know things are not only chaotic and not completely safe, but also there is horse crap everywhere. That's because Austin cops have been riding horses as part of that weekend 6th Street patrol since I was a college student going back to the mid to late 1990s. And yeah, these horses have to do their business. And what better place to do that business than on the dirtiest street in Austin, Dirty 6th. So Madam Jubilee did try to explain why she was rubbing horse number two all over herself. She says that it was her celebration for stopping another possible I can't breathe George Floyd moment. That's right. Quote, this is from her Instagram story. Somewhere out there, there is a video of me rolling around in horse manure on 6th Street. To be honest, it's kind of bleeped up. This guy was jumped by four officers, holding him down on his back on the ground. I can't breathe running in my head. The commotion made the horses bleep themselves. It was like their IBS acted up because of how terribly. We treated each other as the police took the man away. I went straight to that pile of bleep, sat the bleep down and started rolling in it. I send love and prayers to the gods for protection over the man. I think it could have escalated, but I laid on the ground a foot away eye to eye as the police kneeled on top of him. I think it startled them and made them stand up quickly and carry the man away. Now there is, this is not unique to this last weekend on Dirty Six, but there is a video of a full-fledged street brawl happening this last weekend where people are getting sucker punched and police are eventually chasing some dude down the street. Looks like they dropped him with a taser after he does not comply to their orders. And then in the background of this video of this guy... Is Madam Jubilee laying down in horse poop? Now she claims that she is not in the mold of, uh, I don't know, might want to call this some, uh, some PETA level tactics here, but she claims that she is not some crazy leftist maniac. Quote, I'm balanced, not a leftist. I don't go left or right. Duality is for... Another cuss word there. Well, look, if... This is her version of events. If you thought this was worth it to get horse poop all over yourself, have at it, I guess. You're getting a lot of attention right now. Let's see. I don't know where the Instagram follower account was prior to this event, but you now have 1,200 followers on Instagram. So... If this really was an attention grabbing moment for you, I hope it panned out. If this was really about saving an individual who was about to be in a bad way because Austin police were handling a situation terribly, a situation that was already violent to begin with, which is a bad start to this whole story, then kudos to you for helping to keep something much worse from happening. I don't know whether to believe you or not. You say you're you're pretty middle of the road, but this extreme action does not speak to middle of the road. Uh, Final story now, I've got to stay in the world of relieving yourself. NASA has just revealed that it can now turn 98 percent of human urine into drinking water. Now, why does this matter? This doesn't matter for us on Earth just yet. Although there are some claims that have been made over time saying that eventually there will be wars over potable water. It's kind of hard to disagree with them right now, but we're not there just yet, thankfully. NASA is trying to figure this out for the sake of the evolution of life support systems in outer space for astronauts who choose to go into space for an extended period of time for, I don't know, let's say a trip to Mars. You only have so much space in the shuttles that you're taking to get there and recycling is a friend of the Mars trip. And NASA now says that 98% of urine can be turned back into drinking water. You see, this reminds me of the movie Waterworld. They did this at the very beginning of the film, I want to say. And it was brilliant and scoffed at. This movie was a big joke because it cost a lot. It made a lot, too, but it didn't quite live up to the blockbuster billing. But here we are, Kevin Costner and Waterworld, once again predicting the future. That is it for another show. Thank you so much to T.I. for joining me ahead of his stand-up sets at Cap City Comedy Club. Thanks to you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow at 10. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the night and sweet dreams.
0: It's the Night Talker with Trey Ellings.